everybody. Uh, welcome back to another Bald Move Commission podcast. Uh, this one was commissioned by one Brian Strader, and uh, he's a very brave individual. He he plucked three random episodes. Well, not random, actually. He spent a, a lot of time giving a thought, actually. He then wrote his primers and everything. Uh-huh. He, uh, he carefully curated... Three episodes from the classic uh, science fiction, 90s science fiction series, Babylon 5. Something I think we've talked about, because we're Star Trek fans. Neither of us have much of a background in Babylon 5. I know that we've talked about being kind of put off initially by the makeup and special effects, because we kind of uh, audiovisual whores. Uh, We kind of had a semi-disastrous Lost podcast that made a lot of fans feel... Uh, unsatisfied and so we we mm-hmm. then we had a whole bunch of people running on um television shows we have never watched like buffy and babylon and we wrote to these people and begged them begged them not to commission these podcasts are going to be terrible and they persevered on brian was one of those uh he selected 207 soulmates uh this is season two of course 207 soulmates 209 the coming of shadows and 220 the long twilight struggle Babylon 5, 1993, science fiction, the B-Squad to Deep Space Nine. Uh, <laughs> what'd you think, Jim? But but can I say, like, a notch above uh, a show like Farscape or something? Sure. Or the Kevin Sor- What Was that the Kevin Sorbo joint? Oh, Was that the no, Hercules no, joint? No, no, I know what you're talking about, though. Which one was that? I don't know. This is a notch above that, for sure. Like, even... Zathura, the legendary <laughs> space journeys, I think is what it was. Uh, even in the day, like... I kind of heard buzz about Babylon Five, and right, you know, it, it wasn't getting the buzz that Star Trek was getting. Certainly, I mean, it was this. This was concurrent with both TNG and DS Nine. Yeah, so TNG was wiping wiping up was was winding down. D yeah. Space Nine is spinning up, and less than six months apart, mm-hmm. D Space Nine and Babylon came out. Yeah, it was a uh, it was a time to be a sci fi. TV junkie for yeah, sure. Except for I never. I mean, I dipped my toe. I remember watching the miniseries and thinking, I don't know about this. Hmm. Or it was not the miniseries; it was the like TV movie that kicked it off. And then some. Right. I remember being sometime later the series debuted, and I watched a couple episodes. I'm like, I just this dude looks like a fucking owl. This guy looks like an iguana. <laughs> the sets look like it's the inside of a car container truck. I I can't do it. I can't do it. Yeah, uh, and I bailed. I, you're, you're pussyfooting around your opinion. I'll give, I'll give mine. I was surprised at how engaged I was by all this. Okay. I don't know whether I'm, you know, I just turned forty today. Uh, my audiovisual whoredom has mellowed out, but I don't know that this thing's reputation. And again, maybe this is not, maybe this is conventional wisdom, but amongst my friend group and my Trekkie-based fandom, Babylon is seen as the second banana to deep space nine i'm not sure that that's a fair comparison i think that oh, maybe i think it is <laughs> i think deep space nine might be the second banana to babylon five absolutely not you're totally wrong about that but it's it's closer than i gave it credit for back in the day so how that's that's the thing um i make that statement filling in a lot of this the the missing pieces of babylon with kind of my feeling of what I, you know Babylon or uh, Deep Space Nine and all that stuff mm-hmm. um, because here's the thing Deep Space Nine took a good long while to round into shape and get interesting which by interesting I mean the Dominion War are you sure about that 
But did because I watched it recently. By season three, we've got the Defiant, we've got the Dominion, we've got okay season like, three attacks by the Cardassians. I that was like, the same year as this. I've, okay, I get that, but th- I, this is in early in the second season. They're establishing the Shadow War threat, which mm-hmm. I feel like was, you know, it, it seemed like it got to the point of the big epic conflict sooner than Deep Space Nine. And as a consequence, right, I'm guessing but... it had less weird episodes. Like, is there an oh, episode yeah, of I'm... Babylon where Commander Sheridan took the crew to play fucking yeah. space <laughs> baseball with inside the planet machine uh-huh. against all the caretakers of the techno planet? Like, so that's the thing. Like, Deep Space Nine is a longer show. It's uh-huh. what seven seasons, I think. Versus five. Versus five of Babylon Five. Um, and you know, if you cut out probably two seasons worth of that kind of bullshit Mm -hmm. then you're talking about a comparison because there's so much to compare between these two shows okay i mean just from a straight up plot perspective so did you research in the background because i guess the background is john um or i'm sorry michael straczynski yeah j michael j michael straczynski uh who that's the other thing i didn't know that he i i guess i somehow lost who was the showrunner i'd have been a much more excited because i you know, I have a lot of fond memories. He worked on almost every cartoon show you can think. Like He-Man, uh, She-Ra. Was fucking... I allowed to watch any of them? <laughs> Captain Power. Okay. He he was like one... He he, he also did Sense8 recently. He was the co-creator of that show. Huh. Um, really? With the Wachowskis? Mm-hmm. According to his IMDb. Nice. Uh, and... And then kind of like arguably... Because uh, Jason Shankle from the, the Nattercast... Uh, got wind of us doing this and he sent me an article he wrote a, few, a while back for the 20th anniversary of Babylon 5 on IO9 mm-hmm. talking about how like this was you know you could argue that this is kind of the dawn of the golden age of television because it's the first time a showrunner actually said I've got a 5 year plot that I want to execute and uh he was very involved in online fan bases like this was like what about the original Star Trek but they didn't. They didn't have a real. They back didn't and get forth to execute it. Fan but... community. They didn't have any kind of arc. Star Trek: The Next Generation right. had no kind of. It's just but purely in, episodic. In the, in the title, in the the intro uh-huh. screen, it's like uh-huh. it's five year mission. Sure, if we don't, they get clearly canceled. had a five year mission planned. But they didn't have any kind of plot or character right, development. Right. There was no stuff. arc. It was. It was all just like you said, episodic. Right. I mean, the evidence of that is the neck aliens that never went anywhere. I mean, that was set up to be the big bad for the series, and they couldn't even fucking execute that right. Okay. Like some shiny ball called the Borg bounced past, and they're like, oh, I gotta go in that direction. I I don't know. It seems to me like this was... Uh, Alan Seppenwall seems to uh, um, trace the Golden Age of Television back to, like, Lost and Oz. But I feel like maybe Babylon should get a little bit more of that credit, just structurally the way they did and also i guess the genius of straczynski and how he did this is that he knew that he couldn't guarantee because television like you know if you're writing a novel or movie it's not like your character is going to fuck off in the middle of the production okay Mm -hmm. so he had this deal where every main character that had a plot line had to have what he called a trap door yeah which was a second character that was waiting in the winds it was uh, wings it was either the junior attache of a diplomat or a sub commander every character had a backup character that could step forward and and take that person's place and not really impact the 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 overall story mm-hmm. um and I guess he had to do that quite a few times he placed the commander in the first season yeah um because he, placed, he got, uh 
Natalia? Is oh, that yeah, her name? Because I was like, oh, I like her because she was in one, of, I think, season three of 24. Hmm. Like, okay. I recognized her, and I'm like, ooh, I like this actress. Um, but he had to do that a couple times, but not as much as he thought. So then he had all this, like, rich, deep cast that, you know, they went to be trap doors, but they kind of became their own characters. And I thought that's kind of pretty smart way to, like, bridge the gap between purely episodic and this... Um, right. Yeah, or, or procedural to something that's episodic. Yeah. Yeah, I I forget exactly how they did that with, like, Dax in DS9. Because Dax, Jedzia, left, didn't well, she, fortunately, at some point? Fortunately, she's just a symbiote, so you can right. have the same character and just pull the slug out Different of her body, and shove yeah. it into the pixie right. Dax, and right. you keep on keep on rolling. And Worf's still banging her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not miss a beat. Um, so do you... Or the, still banging him? Him. That's it's well, a him. I mean, what it's is a him it? her it's, at that point. There's I don't been know. so many different lives, right. so many different sexes. It's you know, are you banging the slug inside the person? Are you banging right. the skin suit they're wearing? Lots of questions. Philosophers disagree. Sure. Um did you think that the special effects were a barrier to your enjoyment of these episodes? Uh you know, they were actually better than I remembered. Same here. I remember seeing them and going, Oh my god, that's computer animation and it looks like trash. This time around, I didn't think so. Yeah. Now it's not like the stunning models you get of the Enterprise flying right. flying through space and shooting at also modeled Cardassian ships or sure. something. Like that type of stuff looks a lot better, I think, because all they have to do is composite it. But But the weakness that I, I the clear strength of this and the weakness of Star Trek was mm-hmm. you got honest to God fleet battles, planetary bombardments, the kind of shit that you rarely got in Star Trek. Like if you right. if you saw more than four ships on a screen, it was like a fucking season finale in Star Trek. Yeah. Or these video toasters made on Amigas, apparently they could just crank, you know, hey, you need a war fleet of like seven capital ships, a hundred fighters and what are they? Yeah, we can do that, no problem. Did they did they really do much of that in these episodes? I saw yeah, like but, when... but these are these are the blockbuster episodes of yeah that's of that's... Babylon Five too right? right so like when I compare this to the Dominion Wars yeah it's a fucking joke well because I mean... the Dominion Wars you'd have hundreds of ships on the screen in this I saw maybe ten mm. tops I guess I don't remember the Dominion War. And, and oh you've seen, man! The thing is, you've seen it more recently because I always remembered you would see like every once in a while you'd get a a, a, a decent size yeah, like fleet, Wolf three five nine. You got right. It's an amazing. But it was always battle. few and far between, and, so, and I, I would say that you're just chalking up. You know, you saw this when you're 16, and you thought there was 100 ships. There's really right. 13. But I watched it last year. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's pretty fresh in my mind, and I I do think the the ship battles. I think everything about. Star Trek of the era was mm-hmm. like a notch above this, hmm. both from the acting quality to the set design to just the coherence of the look of Star hmm. Trek, I think is better. But it's not it's not that massive gulf that I remember. Babylon 5 actually holds its own surprisingly well. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree that the, the set design, the special effects are worse on Babylon because I think overall they are. But I found somehow... The the diversity, like it, you know, the main the main guys that are going to have to be in makeup all the time, they're not too extreme. I did feel sorry for the Jakar guy. Like, oh, he's he's the Garrick. Leonard Nimoy or Michael Dorn want a fucking bitch about a turtle being glued to their head or tips in their ears. This guy, right. he must have never gotten out of makeup. It's yeah. like he got to sleep and then they put it on and like he spent twenty hours a day in this <laughs> fucking rubber suit. He had to have uh-huh. with those uncomfortable ass red contacts. It must have been hell. Oh, yeah. 
It must have been hell to film this. But I couldn't believe how well the guy kind of emoted through all that. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. there's something late in the third episode we covered where there's this, like, UN resolution. Well, not resolution. There's a there's peace treaty being signed. It's a very one-sided deal, and it's these two proud guys. <laughs> uh-huh. And I thought that, like, even though this dude looked like a fucking owl and this guy looked like a <laughs> cobra man, like, I was actually getting caught up in the moment. Me too. I think, actually, the makeup effects are top-notch in this show and it reminds me i don't of the think way... they lose any okay. lose a single step to star trek right and in fact i thought like anytime you see like a a, a quark's bar scene the diversity amongst aliens is way better in battle babylon yeah. like in star trek it's all just people with bits of feather glued to their hairs or yeah. they got a ridge here their eyebrows are shaved other this... than the featured ones like you know quark or morn or somebody right. but Th- this yeah. show ha- it's like the star wars cantina every single time you're walking down the hallway <laughs> and i i appreciated that uh um i don't yeah, know I, that's that's i was super impressed by the makeup in the show uh not so much by the sets i think the sets looked like cardboard and foam right. no and i uh, like i thought like man in what can I envision a day where humans dress in these kind of uniforms because they're very, very gaudy, theatrical. The lizard people are all wearing the essentially Klingon leather uniforms, and you got the lizard people. Who are who are the lizard? They're people? They're the Marn, I think. The, the I, Narn? I, I Narn? thought it was like Narnia. I, maybe it's Marn. It because well, I thought uh, Londo was Mondo up until the very last episode, <laughs> right? Um, so I, I I could be butchering all this stuff, but I've only seen. You know, three episodes of Deep or Battle of Babylon Five in the last twenty years. So, yeah, cut me some slack. Same here. I've I've actually only ever seen like full episodes. Right. I've only ever seen these three now. And then, like, so I think the Minbari are the ones that have like the bony ridges on their skull, and the one woman right. that some I guess she's she's a hybrid. She's turned herself partial human as a way to because because humans and Minbari were at war with each other until like ten years uh-huh. ago. The the Narn are the lizard guys. The Centauri are the owl people. Uh huh. And then you had the Vorlon, which the owl people. Why do you call them owl people? That's this big feathered crest. That, I the, thought they the, were like Transyl, like French, French Transylvanian vampires, vampire people. Well, the, like I don't understand what. Londo himself where had the inspiration. Is. I, I thought maybe the actor's teeth are just fucked up, but he's wearing a prosthetic that gives him fangs. Yeah. None none of the others were though, were they? No. Well, some of them don't have accents. Like, I, and is, I was is trying, his yeah. second-hand man, or his second-hand man, right-hand man, Ably like... played by Bobby Monaghan from Saturday Night Live, sure. Is that no, actually it's not, true? But it, but it, okay. I, I think Bobby Monaghan, he needs to lobby every week on Saturday Night Live to do a Babylon 5 yeah. skit. Yeah. Like, only one out of 100,000 people watching would get it. <laughs> right. But... Him being, I think, is Veer is his name? I don't know his name. But but he he's fucking Bobby Monaghan. Yeah, he really is. Uh, but that guy doesn't have an accent. Is he like the? Is he like the wharf of this scenario where Man, he's like half? I don't know. Human There's, half Centauri. That's the thing. Like I kept on digging at the because I'm a lore whore and I kept on right. like Vorlons and they're wearing his badass suit and it's called the, the Encounter suit and uh-huh. but there there's they there's people speculating what they really looked like so I had to tear into that and like oh well this is super interesting and the planet computer I had to know more about that like there's all this right, fascinating right. stuff that's just around the edges that um, makes the universe feel really lived in but yeah I didn't have like why. Are the Centauri's like human, but then some of them have fangs because they seem like they're just humans with fancy hair. Yeah, and the women all shaved their head. That's the other thing I found that like soulmate 
the episode, the mm. first one we watched was more comedy. It's about the yeah. main guy having to choose between his three wives, and he hates them all. And and pretty broad comedy. Like I didn't really broad, like the first episode. Very broad patriarchal comedy. Yeah, uh, in, in this kind of way that start you know like Loxana Troy shows up on the Enterprise, oh, yeah. and she's just a massive man hungry bitch uh-huh. that Picard like a child hides from, and it, it's that's. I mean, yeah, that's, no, the way, I, that's the way it went, man. Yeah, I, I do see a ton of parallels with Star Trek Starfleet, here. Starfleet, the 23rd century, still makes the women wear miniskirts. What are you going to do? Right, right. It's, it's not as enlightened as to one would To be fair, think. the men wear the miniskirts as well. So <laughs> Do they? Sometimes, yeah. You remember the original Star Trek, where the men would be walking down the halls wearing skirts? That was their dress uniform. Right. It was literally T- a dress. Tell me how, yeah, tell me how that matters. Like, <laughs> okay, okay. They weren't showing their legs. They were essentially wearing a dress over their regular uniform. What? No, I think, yeah, oh, no, were, I no, think there was a lot no, of skin on those no, male uniforms. Oh, yeah. Fucking Kirk was not wearing go-go boots. Get <laughs> Kirk, the hell out of here. Kirk didn't, but I saw some red shirts. I some thought, red skirts, in that case. I thought surely in a new Star Trek movie that they would put a, 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 a man <laughs> in one of those fucking skirts just to prove the point, but nope, they have right. not. Yeah. Um... So anyway, th- th- yes. there's a lot of stuff like kind of around the edges. You touched on like uh, the planet computer and the, the human Mambari re- relationship that I didn't really dig into because I didn't feel it was necessary for these episodes. But it's crazy because the Mambari were kicking crazy, our yeah. ass, and just as they were about to defeat us and strike Earth, they surrendered. Why? I don't know. And it even says in, Does the, official, know? in the synopsis we were given, it says mysteriously surrendered. I don't know whether that's a, it's got to be a plot point later on. Right, I, I wonder. Like, does does the lore explain it, or is that something that's left mysterious and, for and does everyone? Vorlon, like you know, beetle guys. The 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 one that says, "I see only flame" or whatever. Those guys are apparently like a billion old race. They're like super old, and they're caretaking these mm-hmm. younger races. And there's like maybe some manipulation. I think that might be what the Shadow War is all about, which is very Star Control. You know, speaking of manipulation, there's the Psychor. Psychor seemed very uh, which fascinating. Seemed interesting. Seemed I, like a well. So that I thought this best part of the first Firefly esque sort of thing. The first one because I remember when we were talking about Jessica Jones, we both I think agreed that the best part of that show was the concept of the villain, uh, Kilgrave. Right. Yeah. They had Kilgrave in this episode, and I don't think real. I don't. Maybe he comes back later, but the potential of that character. They even scratched the surface. Well, he was in it earlier too. I guess he was like. They they showed the part of their relationship that they kind of talk about. Do they? Um, with with Talia coming to the station and whatnot. Mm, right. I, I guess they got a little bit deeper. Okay. Into that earlier on. Right. In the show, I imagine the side course that that seems super interesting, and it's a little bit of like yeah. Warhammer 40k. Like there's it's it's awesome, but the whole thing is kind of horrific because it, does, it feels like it's very genetically engineered and yeah, not a lot of free will and right. It, that's why. I make the comparison to Firefly, which, you know, yeah. this came out way before Firefly. Right, 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 right. Uh, but I thought that that, like, they were going to do some really interesting things about, um, you know, with this, with this, in, what they call the empath. Um, mm-hmm. But they, didn't, they probably didn't really. do later they, they on. Do. You know, I mean, the <laughs> Star Trek has the time police. Right. That it kind of goes, right. go, touches on every so often. and Right. Uh but yeah, I, I don't know. Soulmates was probably my least favorite episode of these three. But even then, like I, and that's I guess the cool thing about shows like Star Trek is when you had an, we, you, they always had like an ABC plot. Mm-hmm. 
And even if the A plot wasn't so hot, there was usually something cool going on in a B or a C plot. And I, none of these episodes, actually, the only one I have a real problem with is the first one. Yeah. Um, and even then, the the B plot of um, the, the, the all the other stuff that was going on, I yeah. thought was pretty cool. Like the stuff that they're developing with this relationship with Jakar. And I don't know the interesting things about the Jakar's min- just Garrick. I mean, he's got the same letters in his name, right? <laughs> right. From from DS Nine. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's so like the fact that you've got this gruff security chief is li- relying on his gut, and he doesn't shape shift, but right. But he's essentially Odo. He's a, yeah, he's Odo. He's Odo. And and Jakar is Garrick, and, and he's the got fucking a commander that lost his with... wife in a war, I think, and he's a war vet. Like he's Cisco. Like I right. And and they're right outside of Stargate. I mean, like <laughs> right. this is fucking. I, that's what like it seems like Straczynski. Is that how you say his name? Straczynski? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It seems like he essentially said Paramount ripped him off because he pitched this to them and they said no thanks. And then He did pitch this to them? Yes. Oh, and then they shit. come back as he's as as they're filming announced Deep Space Nine and it comes out within months of Babylon. Oh man. But he's like it's kinda like, yeah, they did it, but what am I gonna do? Am I gonna go f- f- fucking suing Star Does Trek? He, I can just imagine. Like, if it were me, I would be sitting there watching week by week deep space nine and i'd be like you motherfuckers like every single week oh, you're sure. doing yeah you have the same characters right the same settings you have there's the same, casinos and bars and whorehouses both, right and the same setting shady same smugglers plots. are coming in and out there's like multiple shady smugglers in this oh, in this uh it would drive me series. insane yeah. knowing knowing that it was by far the more popular show too yeah like just given the name star trek sure it has a massive advantage in this first episode, I did, I kind of did like the stoner character, the guy who's the actual active psyker, because he just doesn't. I mean, I guess that's uh, once I figured out that he was essentially a Kilgrave type, it made sense. But he yeah. just has got the biggest pair of balls. Why wouldn't he? He's given this, yep. uh, you know, Odo blowing him a bunch of shit. He, he just doesn't care about anything. I don't know the security guy's name either. I don't. It's, it's he's not it's hardly something in aggressively the other Polish and... sounding. It's got an problem. It's it? like I think Straczynski just anagrammed his name and he named the guy that. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't know anything about him. And but, he's a minor character in these three episodes. Right. Um, but on the other hand, it was weird that he could be taken down by a surprise punch. Oh, okay. And also, so this is a new type of psychic, right? That they've never seen before. And they have a name for it? Well... Did you have a problem with that? <laughs> no. Well, I mean, I don't... Empath- it turned you into something entirely new. An empath. Right, right. Well, what, what? Did you come up with that on the spot? Well, you could... So, I guess, like, you could describe a new phenomenon. Like, if a, a disease right. made a person start drinking blood, we'd probably say you've become a... That doesn't mean we've had experience with vampires. It's just we're making... Empath doesn't describe what this guy really does, but, you know, whatever. Every science fiction it, show's got its own weird language. Yeah, but I mean, you know, but, having seen seven years of Star Trek. But Commander Sherrod confidently states that we've got four men outside watching on viewport, and if we ever chummy chummy with you, then they're come in and start blasting. Well, what if this shit works through. Right. Like the the television, or what if he's got the range new. of like a, a, a light year that he can affect people? Like, you're making a lot of fucking assumptions with the guy who's got a lot of power here. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I gotta say, this episode also didn't give the greatest first impression for this show, with with me having not seen it. Mm-hmm. 
it opens on a shot of that guy with his fucking hair of Londo yes. with his goddamn ridiculous hair. Uh-huh. Uh, and I immediately rolled my eyes and went, what am I in for I here? Know, I know. This is going to be a fucking train wreck. Uh, I forgot that they're hitting me with the owl people <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> yeah. Right off the bat. And this shrill wife of his, like this first wife, I don't know her name. I think it's Timov. Um, I, I don't know the other's name. I don't names. give a shit. It's the one that is it's the, vomit the, backwards. The, the biggest bitch, but she actually saves his life for some reason. Right. Because she secretly uh, loves him. I get. I guess. Uh, doesn't want anyone to know that. But yeah, I like not a great first impression right. on this episode. Mm-hmm. I, I was. It had a big hill to climb, and it eventually did. And yeah, there's other cringy things about like this this alien woman who's now knows what it's like to have female hair, and mm-hmm. she's I, I am bleeding from this ventral hole. What is right? These like, cramps. What are they? Oh, like God. there's a room full of sweaty nerds in this writer's room, and they're writing the broadest of female. Yeah comedy and it's not great it's no, not great it, it was not hitting for me at all what'd you think about the lizard man investigator extraordinaire jakar mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of a ladies man he uh yeah he had some key f- somehow figured out that the i guess the more conventionally attractive of the wives right had arranged for this uh, attempted assassination and he kind of like you know gives her the old bedroom eyes at the end mm-hmm. Where do you where do you where do you stand on the whole concept of interspecies sex? And I wonder if they ex, if they explore it here where in Babylon Five. Where do I stand, 5. like ethically, or where do I stand? Would you fuck a good looking cobra woman? I think the better question is, could I fuck a good looking cobra woman? Let's just assume there's some kind of cloaca that okay. could facilitate a bonding. Would you do it, or would that just be <laughs> like, nope, I can't get over the scaly face? I, I mean, they would have to be. What if it's a, what, what, if it's, what, what if humans it's, would consider attractive, right? Like I'm not gonna fuck a moose. Well, like, well yeah, because it's not attractive to me. What I'm saying, like if if you had a snake woman with a super hot conventional terrestrial body, yes, it's covered in scales, but it's got curves in the right places. Okay, we're talking like a mystique sort of thing. Okay, yeah, let's would I go fuck with mystique? That. Yeah, I'd fuck mystique. Would Why you fuck not? this this? Would you fuck? Uh, <laughs> uh, so mystique has got even. She's too conventional. Like this is full on bald headed. Red eyes, pointy teeth. Maybe there's a tongue. I don't know. Do you fuck a sexy Red spider eyes, looking pointy alien? Pointy teeth and a tongue. Like it's it's a conventionally attractive. It's like Scarlett Johansson <laughs> with a spider head on it. Do you do that with a spider head? Like all spider heads? All spider head. No, no. Would you fuck I, a I Scarlett Johansson type that had like the, the 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 vagina looked like a spider head? No, God no. Okay, <laughs> I'm, I'm starting. To- that's a crab woman. How about crab woman? Crab woman, like a like got a guard plates. There's some kind of guard plates down there. To snap sort open. Of thing? Yeah, there you go. It's got claws, but again, <laughs> curvaceous. It's in your, you know, your body. You like the you're into the body type. If I was just into curves, I'd fuck a beach ball. I mean, <laughs> that's not that's not doing it for me, man. Um, I don't. Maybe I'm. I mean, I wouldn't. Obviously, I. I, I, I I just think it's funny. I wonder if Babylon 5 got into this because, like, one of my enduring memories of Ringworld, Larry Nivens, as I wasn't re- I wasn't prepared for this as a 13 and 14 year old reading it, is like he goes like really in depth about what interspecies sex huh. is like. Okay. And how it's used in like commerce and trade and to seal contracts. And it's like every fucking excuse to have a human, an alien fucking, he goes for it. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe I'm warped. But that's what I was thinking this whole time. I'm like, I see Jakar give her to bedroom eyes. I'm like, does she fuck the Cobra Man? Does the Cobra Man fuck her? (laughs) 
Because pre- presumably he's attracted to Cobra women. So why is this Shay sure. Dow woman yeah. doing for him? Is yeah. he is he attracted to her personality, her power? Like I don't know. It's because she doesn't have a spider head. Well, that's that's you put the spider head. (laughs) Yeah, it's too much. It's not now. It's just right in your face, man. There's another. uh, I guess it was contentious at the time. Relationship, sexual relationship in this episode was there. It isn't really touched on later uh, because I don't think Talia's in Mm. the other two episodes very much. Yeah, Uh, but yeah, Talia and I guess uh, Ivanova is that her name? Uh, the Ooh, the Minbari, yeah. Like she's she's going to her quarters to bang, I guess. Really? Uh, or they had a relationship certainly that was not like as fully developed as they wanted to uh, make it because the actress Andrea Thompson left the show. Hmm. Um, because she wanted a she wanted a more recurring character, so she quit her job. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but well, she left for Jag, right? Jag, the, I think I yeah the, the Air that, Force the thing. CBS like it's a yeah. network show. This is I mean I I think that's I would probably do it. Jag may not be a branch of the Air Force or a, a, I don't know. No, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, but it's, it's the naval lawyers is what it is or naval lawyers. Maybe it's just armed oh, forces shit. lawyers. Jag. All right, because I think it means Judge Advocate Advocate General. Hmm. Anyway, okay, she well, left she for left a for higher a recurring... paying, higher paying, higher profile gig. Okay. That's Can't blame it. She had a trap door, st- stepped right in. Right. But I guess they dropped that thread, the the relationship, as they should, because it's a different fucking person. Right. Worf. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I, I guess they were going to go somewhere with that. Well, the other thing that I, I didn't know this, but you know the main uh, centaur, wait, Minbari woman, the one that had the the, bone, the crest bone, but she's recently grown out hair. Right. Um, Michael Straczynski intended her to be a masculine character that he was going to transition to female huh. in the second season. Uh, you know, like 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 they went to a chrysalis and oh shit, now it's this man's a woman. Yeah, um, and explore that kind of like transgender aspect in nineteen ninety fucking two or ninety three. Like, yeah. and the only reason they didn't is because they tried pushing her voice through the vocoder, like. 12 different ways and they couldn't get it to sound like See, the way they wanted it to. I, so they scrapped the whole plot and just made her like androgynous and then mm-hmm. she's uh, unambiguously female, I guess, in the second season. But that, that kind of sucked. Like, I I, I thought that was amazing. Like, so you're saying they had a lesbian relationship and he tried to have a trans woman and it didn't work because the technology wasn't there. That's pretty incredible well, for 93. Well, technology 93. was there. I mean, DS9 essentially did it. They wrestled with a lot of those issues, right? With what? With, like, transgendered sort of ideas. With what, Dak? The Dax yeah, symbiote? Yeah, Dax. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it, it was a more complicated version of that, because now you've got a different form with a different consciousness and melded consciousness. Yeah, completely different body, like, yeah. Right. right. It's, so what the fuck is that even? Like, that's, yeah. there is no human analog for that. I never found the, da- this, this, the symbiote, I never found that trill shit fully fleshed out. Like to me, yeah, like there's no, quiet. there's no, there's no universe, and that's not just a horror. Like to me, the the the, the symbiotes have taken over and fucked and fucked up this this race's relations, and they worship them like beings. It is great honor to be subsumed by this fucking alien parasite. Like that's that's some but straight you're up not bullshit. Fully, I I don't know. I know, man. I'm just saying that. Like I've watched the same shows you have, and I've always thought like they didn't really do that. Trill's a lot darker than they're letting on. Okay, <laughs> fair. 
you know. And then Ben Sisko just has this relationship with it where it's like his old buddy. Right, yeah. Yeah, we used to fucking kick Klingons in the nuts, and now you're fucking one. <laughs> right. What, what would you, what would Kierzon say? Uh... <laughs> How, how about the... Is uh, he still in there? Should I stop asking uncomfortable unco- questions about your psychological makeup? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's a little weird. Okay. Uh, what about the intro, like the credit sequence for this show? Ah, uh, they'll go to Gilligan Island method. They where do. Where it's essentially they tell the story. The Full House sort of method, too. Yeah. At the end where they say, this is this actor, and it's played playing this character. Sure. and Yeah. It's it's a little less classy, I thought, than like a Star Trek intro, because Star Trek isn't showing you the actors giving you the thumbs up and the wink at the camera. No, that's true. But on the thing, it feels very full. I also think that Star Trek has a lot of baked in advantages for brand and like you kind of know what you get. Right. Whereas Babylon Five had to. I mean, just like Firefly, same way. Firefly did the same. Like. Uh Uh, Even had the fucking voiceover where they told you the story so far, and then. Yeah, I don't sometimes know. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. Yeah, a, it was weird. Last time I watched on Netflix, I feel like every episode had a uh, Nathan Fillion voiceover talking about the Earth that a was. A good chunk of them and did, yeah. now we're doing this and Serenity Valley that. and Right. But those weren't on, I guess, the TV aired versions? They weren't were put they? back in on the DVDs? I don't know. Um, but, yeah, this thing, but it's, yeah. it's got kind of your standard like Star Trek style intro for for a the good chunk of it, and then I know it goes you, you haven't seen it but it's straight up captain power is what it is like, it's it? almost like down to the font and the comp yeah it's very huh. yeah the old school children's toy vehicle marketing captain power deal okay uh what else do we want to talk about on the first episode then we can get to the second one which you can almost the next two episodes um you can almost consider as a unit the coming of shadows and the long twilight struggle brian mentioned that it's like Coming Shadows kicked off this war in 220. The the, the two minute um, cold open essentially explained everything that happened. That yep. the Centauri's were kicking Narn ass, and Narn is on its knees, and there's going to be this desperate counterattack that gets you know. And but but what do we want have to say about those episodes? Oh, those are much better episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the guy playing Jakar is really good. He maybe pushes pushes things a little too far emotionally sometimes apparently that was the guy acts just a tiny bit but i guess that was straczynski's goal that he wanted him to be the in the audience's mind heading into the meat of this season he they want he wanted you to see him as like the stereotypical scene chewing villain so then he could pivot him into a more interesting and same with londo londo is this like that's a risky play oh sure (laughs) yeah uh, but I, you know, Deep Space Nine kind of did the same thing with Garrick and Gull Ducat, Ducat and all that shit. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like you know, it's yet another parallel with Star Trek. I, I think you know, aside from just like maybe taking it a little too over the top, I would have liked to see maybe a more nuanced version of him. But yeah. I, I think we do in the the second episode of of this mini arc here oh i thought so like i said by the end i couldn't believe i was being moved by the owl person and the lizard man like it was really i was kind of jaw agape so let's talk about owl person for a second Londo. Londo. he is clearly reluctant to do the things he's doing why is he doing them because i that's the one piece of this puzzle i feel like i didn't get in this episode 
I think like, what are his motivations? So it seems like in my research that these Centauri were like this big. They were intended to be like the Roman Empire in decline. That right. they had a whole bunch of space. They've been suffered a lot of setbacks. You never really got the but, sense but personally, of personally. Like I don't. I don't care. Like I understand the race. So, so that he wanted. He was this ambition, ambitious person that saw himself sitting on the throne and becoming the em, 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 emperor. Uh-huh. But then Until along the way, the, the things he had to do to get to that started to be unappetizing. And I think I, I think if you read between the lines, you're supposed to understand that his relationship with Jakar and his being participating in the Babylon Project, which is this UN organization, had started to change and and think that there might be a better way. Yeah. But he's still locked into, you know, uh, th- this this group of circles and political sphere that that he couldn't he didn't feel like he could walk away from easily i guess the the piece i was missing there is that personally he's he's a very motive he's very motivated to try to rise as high in the power structure as he can right i guess they never these two episodes don't lay that part of his yeah. character I mean, out. He had him talking to Veer about, well, isn't this what you always wanted? And this was after the dream. He's like, I'm not even sure. What did you think of the well, dream right, sequence, was, by the it, way? Uh, dream sequence was fine. I thought it was pretty. I wasn't sure about the sun, the, the, the giant flabby hand reaching out of the sun. Uh, was the Oh, I forgot about that part. I was just thinking re- about the part where Garrick, or sorry, Jakar is choking him. Okay, so was that Jakar? I think that was Jakar, old with a, and decrepit, with, with missing an eye or something. Because like yeah. the fact, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to sound controversial, but I found very much that all the cobra-headed dudes look the same. Uh, yeah, they look very similar. So in, like, if I got five like seconds of you, so I'm like, you look similar. like a lizard man. Uh, right. <laughs> you know, I'm not familiar enough with your morphology to to distinguish you as individuals. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it makes me think that by the end of this series, either that's going to happen or that's going to be the driving force for him to avoid. Right. Uh, Londo to avoid. And I think it's interesting because I feel like that we're supposed to see initially the Narn as these like violent asshole villains. Right. And the Centauri are kind of like the high-minded, Same noble, with the Bajorns, flashy. Right? Like, yeah, you, like, you kind of see the Bajorns as just as violent as the Cardassians right. in DS9. Well, I think that by I was already starting to feel like the Narn are getting like they 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 have. I was feeling more sympathetic to them than the Centauri just in the three episodes I watched. Yeah. No, me too. Because I didn't, you know, I because they this is a repeating pattern for them, right? The Centauri have dominated them once before, and right. they've broken free 150 years ago, much like they, the Bajorans, right? Uh, and now it's all happening so, over yeah. and over again. Yeah, there's also some religious overtones to all this. Like, is there? Because I thought that was the difference, the main difference between DS9 and this is well, they'll DS9 talk about touched the religion, a lot more religion, and I felt like that the Ranger stuff with the war like warriors of light versus oh, I, right. I thought that there was yeah. there there was going to be some kind of like the religious allegory there it, it was going to be hmm. some kind of almost a secret sect uh, or some kind of mystic thing maybe yeah i it's possible but i didn't really get much of that gotcha um i thought there was a lot of cool science fiction ideas in here too like the fact that the one the emperor of the Centauri walk or always had around two permanently linked psychics, mm-hmm. so that the like the homeworld always knew what he was doing and he always knew what was going back on. Like I thought that was a really cool idea. Yeah, uh, they talk about like a lot of like some of the techno babble. I thought sounded 
more interesting on this show. Like they talk about like they're they're writing this great speech that takes full advantage of psycholinguistics. Like, mm-hmm. and two hundred years they've perfected different you know ways of demagoguery so they can actually almost telepathically influence people's thoughts with speeches i thought that was a really cool um concept how did you feel so i want to talk about the emperor um as he is in this first episode yeah a little bit but how did you feel about the idea that all of this setup with jakar uh wanting to kill this guy and with the speech and all this stuff never came to fruition it was just completely for nothing when this I it was guy interesting because there's a lot of clear parallels between like the Palestinian Israeli situation and maybe even with the emperor coming to apologize that there was even some Japanese Chinese relationships mixed in here. Hmm. Okay. And that Jakar was essentially going to do uh, some kind of like suicide bomb thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, and I like, I thought it was interesting his speech, like, you know, I'm living in a situation where there's only three possibilities. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like we both die. I die or he I dies. I die. Yeah, and it's like I, and then I, the other ones, I either fail or I lose. Mm-hmm. But there was a fourth possibility that he couldn't even, even in this like moment of singular action. Right, the emperor collapses due to an illness before he can uh, kill him. I don't know. I thought that was like, I I feel like that they're really making this um, Jakar and Londo into these big like. Patholo- you know the pathos right. tragic characters and and you know the, him collapsing before he can get there and deliver his speech actually i think adds to the the relationships between jakar and londo a lot and also just the the race relations there yeah and the fact that like the i don't think it was actually for nothing i mean it did yeah. it did totally subvert your expectations and it was just like well that seemed pointless yeah. on the face of it, but I think it goes a lot deeper than that. Yeah, and also the fact that you've got, like, a rogue element of the government that's hardliner that's taking over this more kinder, gentler approach. Um, uh-huh. I thought, like, a lot of this stuff uh, is surprisingly relevant, which must have mean, which must mean it was relevant back then, too. Right. Which means, you know, nothing really ever changes the way we do things yeah, on this c- fucking planet. Certainly. And, I mean, it comes down to, to the basic idea of what it is to be human like your choices that you make and how right. they affect people uh and in times that you don't think you have a choice you actually do i think like what it, what would happen like if they hadn't attacked the narn like it seems like they were headed for this unprecedented era of peace and prosperity and it was tragic when you saw uh jakar go and shake londo's hand and like mm-hmm. thank him like really emotionally about how and, and, and you know thank god lizard people cry Right, I have a hard time deciphering what this guy's this guy's thinking. Uh-huh. But uh, he's like in, genuinely moved by this guy's wanting to apologize uh, for his actions, and you know, Londo's sitting there and he's aware of how awkward it is that you know they're at war and this guy doesn't even know it. Right, and he kind of feels guilty about it. Like I, again, like I'm always impressed by how like a Leonard Nimoy can take this emotionless character and get a lot of emotion out of it. Uh, and how these without betraying the character, the same thing with Brent Spiner with his like, or like Worf, you know, like Michael yeah. Dorn is emoting through his turtle shell. He's got glo- glo- glued on his forehead. And these mm-hmm. guys, especially I thought the, the, the guy playing Jakar, 
was just doing an amazing job of kind of making this all feel sincere, even though as I look at him, I'm like, you look like a lizard man in a bad <laughs> Renaissance fair costume. Uh-huh. And you look like And you look like Count a French general glued a Roman hat on sideways. Like, like, I can't tell if you're going to swoop down and eat a field mice or try to sell me Chocula cereal. I don't know what is going on here. But there, the scene is pretty yeah. incredible. No, it's it's amazing to me because, like, that was my view of it back in the 90s when sure. it first came out. I, I took one look at this, what I viewed as a train wreck of a show, yeah. solely on the appearance of it. It's such a, it's a very shallow... It it totally is, and uh, that's that's what I was in for at the time. Yeah. Uh, now I now that I was you know paid to give it a chance, right, maybe right. that's what Straczynski needed to do. He needed to go hand out money to people <laughs> so, and say, I will sit you... down and watch this fucking show I made. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it it is a lot deeper than I gave it credit for. Um, it it has really interesting plot lines. I, I think this whole idea of the emperor here having a change of heart at the end of his life and he saying, doesn't give a shit about appearance anymore. He's like just you know his his hair's all falling out and that's right. a big deal in, and, and it's, a big deal in Centauri culture. Oh yeah. uh, and I guess he has a wig that he could wear that would emulate that and he doesn't Allowed care anymore it gives him the power of flight too that's the really sweet part only on windy days though <laughs> uh but but the the idea that you know he's lived a life that he now kind of regrets and he's going to seize one last opportunity to try and make right some kind of amends and he knows it's a you know it's it's not going to change everything it's not going to be a redemption of his entire life and all the choices he made till now but at some point you have to make a choice to change right He's done that, and I think that's an interesting aspect of of people. You yeah, know, it's... sure. And, and they're also able to mine humor because I I, I put in the notes because I didn't know the guy's name at this point. I'm like, uh, says Snake Guy's the funniest one uh, because guy. as he was he was he was kvetching about like I can't believe this Wait, guy is the lizard guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I called him Snake Guy. Okay. And, and I think I think a couple paragraphs down, I start calling him Jakar. So <laughs> iguana I, man, I, iguana man, Snake Guy. You know, uh-huh. a spider face. Uh, but he's like talking about like called, this guy's I, got the worst case of t- the, the timing. Why couldn't they just prop him up for two more minutes and then I could so I could kill him? Right. Like that. I thought that was really funny. Whereas he also has the worst case of timing because the guy's coming to apologize. Right. And he wants to kill him. That, so like that added to the irony of the of the situation. Right. Uh, on the other hand. There are a lot of crazy things in these episodes, like the fact that he's at this official banquet and he's he's got a knife in his da- in his gauntlet and, and he's, he's actually actively he pulling it out and <sighs> he's like hey ooh, and he's just right. like if, if lizard guys could sweat he'd just have be sweat dry, coming down in sheets over his face and like right. the stoner guy uh, in the first one when he's doing his psychic trick on the 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 customs officer and like it's this it's this, it's a blatant like. Uh, you know, you don't need to see these droids kind of situation uh-huh. that the Odo, the security chief, sees. And then, as he's walking away, he gives his biggest mugging smirk, like, I pulled one over on him. With I'm like, oh my god. Yeah. This isn't how a person with this kind of psychic powers, like, if, if it was day one, or day three, but day... 1,000, you just, this is a part of your life. You fuck with the guy's brain and move on. You don't congratulate yourself on right. fucking with them every single time. Like, But it's like, there's all this mugging for the camera, so the stupidest person watching the show maybe, realizes, maybe that's, oh, there's something significant here. That's what gives him his power. It's his smugness. <laughs> if he ever lost his smug right. personality, he, he loses his abilities. He, he has to keep generating smug, or <laughs> he, he loses everything. Yep. 
uh, and you can never get it back. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, 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 I again, super cool. I thought the spider ships were creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what they're about. Like, obviously, this I is. No I think this is the some big alliance. Londo is made personally. This is some big. Um, oh, really? This is the Dominion, right? Because like the the other like full. I fucking. The accents on these people also drive me up the goddamn wall uh-huh, uh-huh. because they're not consistent. They're not good. They're not. They're they're just bad, straight oh. up bad. And this other guy, who's I guess rises to the stature of like Emperor's second hand right. or right hand man. Yeah, by the second episode here, yeah. he has the worst accent of them all. Okay, uh, but but he at some point says like, "Oh, we're gonna do this thing," and and Londo's like, "Oh, well, let me." Let me go, like make this attack happen. I've got my alliances. So he's he's like, made contact with shadow so many guys ships off to do that. that we did okay. Okay, right. I thought it was. I thought it was. It's not a racial alliance. It's like a Londo alliance at that point. Okay, because because what was confusing to me is why these spider ships always seem to to show up and like the Narn didn't know who they were. I assumed the Centauri. I thought it was like a f- fortunate coincidence that kept favoring the Centauri. Like oh. when they showed up later on to hit the supply <laughs> line, they uh-huh. showed up to hit it, and these spiders came to defend them. And I thought what was going to happen is the Centauri were going to warp in because Londo's guys, those were Londo's guys. It's so obvious now. I yes, feel like an idiot. They were, but I thought what was going to happen is the Centauri going to warp, and they're both going to realize, oh shit, these spider guys, we have a mutual enemy, <laughs> and it never came to pass. I'm like, uh-huh. okay, so so Londo somehow made that alliance, which were. It happened before season two oh nine. Ranger Alliance is an opposition to the shadows. It seems like I guess so. Since they're talking about being a wall of light or weapons right. of light or path of the light, I don't, I yeah. don't know what it was. He essentially gives the first contact speech. Uh-huh. The line must be drawn. Yeah, <laughs> he does. <This> far. <laughs> he does. Um, you broke yeah. your little ships. Yeah, I mean that's the other thing. Is like I kept on thinking around this time when I started buying into the owl people. Um, why are we turned off by things that are just, like, why is it that when we see something we consider fucking stupid, we kind of assume, like, a universality of that opinion? When really, if if someone's not hurting anyone but themselves, or, like, themselves, or they're not hurting anybody or bothering anybody, like, why can't they do something, like, fucking crazy, like, have an owl head, you know, a feather headdress on all the time? Like, why do I think that's fucking stupid? Why is that That's any more legitimate question. than fucking cargo shorts? Right. Like, like, like a Centauri might forehead. be like, you're wearing flip-flops and cargo shorts. What the fuck, dude? <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I, I, and I get it. Like, he looks like Count Chocolate and he's got, he's got, you know, a wave on his head. Well, I, but, I think this comes back to the whole idea. The, the whole reason I didn't like Babylon 5 is because it wasn't familiar to me. Mm-hmm. And I think things that are familiar to you, things you've grown accustomed to, automatically make sense. Whereas things that are different or outside your experience are automatically there. There's more resistance to them. And I that that uh, that rings true with Deep Space Nine versus hmm. Babylon Five for me. Because I think that that actually is a bit of a strength on Babylon Five's part because everything is so different and alien feeling. It's like it's mm-hmm. it's much. It feels like a much more genuine alienness than than stuff in Star Trek. Now, again, I've only seen three episodes. I, I I confidently state that I don't think there's a baseball episode, but maybe there is. 
Like it's hard to believe there, there that be, yeah. in in twenty episodes of five seasons of of syndicated television, they don't have a couple of off goofy ass. Well, there was episodes. Soulmates, which I think is one of those. I mean, it's not I quite as true. goofy as Run Along Home or right. Move Along Home, whatever it's called. But, right. But it's still goofy. It is goofy. The main plot was goofy. And it doesn't goofy. have anything to really do. I mean, aside from the Psycorp stuff. Yeah. The, that stuff doesn't really tie in, as far as I can tell, to the main huh. I thought it was plot. like Londo's rise to power, too. And like his, like, that's the other thing is that, that I thought was interesting about Michael Straczynski's Bible is that he wanted to like spend the entire first season not even moving the plot along, but establishing concepts and races and characters and motivations so that you know, by the end of season two, you were fully invested in these owl people and lizard men and that you were going to like the, yeah. the things that they were doing are going to feel very natural, organic and kind of tragic because of that. And he always tried to balance like the inevitable tragedy of the weight of these things are happening with like this concept of hope, which seems like that's like the, what the ranger concept is supposed to be like, even though yeah. the galaxy looks like it's going to shit, there is some kind of plan of good that's 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 moving under underneath everything. I don't know. Yeah, and I think he pulled that off pretty well. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's tough to get kind of under the skin of Londo and a lot of these characters where the persona of them is so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, when you do that, when you can get past that, and I started to kind of toward the end of the third episode right. that we watched, I I think there's a lot, there's obviously a lot of emotion there, and... I mean, that's that's the other thing. Like, people who really want to see these completely alien things in their shows, well, guess what? If you go completely alien, you're not going to be able to identify that at all. Right. I mean, you, you won't have human things like love and, and uh, desire in the same way we understand it or, yeah. or defeat in the same way we understand it. Like, do you want a mindless, like race whatever it is uh three five one eight two from voyager like right. is that what you're looking for because you can I think do that, that but I think it's it was not... species 90210 actually <laughs> yeah played by luke perry he never right. got a line yeah. but uh-huh. but he was there in the back saying no make make that greener he did all the mocap on them <laughs> <laughs> just slithering and oozing around um yeah and that's like would you be in the mood for like a hard sci? Because this is something that I've been thinking about a lot since I read this um, paper about artificial intelligence. This guy, uh, I've talked about it on a few other podcasts, but his his point was that we assume that like an artificial intelligence, especially a hyper intelligent artificial intelligence, will roughly think and reason the way we do, even though a lot of our thinking right. and reasoning reasoning has a lot of emotional assumptions about yeah, you know the way we feel about actions that don't have any like universal intrinsic goodness or badness to it. And like, why would we assume that, you know, what would, I think it'd be interesting to have a hardcore science fiction series about a roughly human level intelligence, but is completely alien. Like the spider people, like what would a spider, what, if, if you evolved from an animal that built webs and sucked, you know, like, like violently preyed on things and, and, and tombed them and paralyzed them and ate them alive, mm-hmm. like what kind of sentiment would you have? Like what, like, uh, you know, I think DS9 did touch on that with, uh, Odo's race, whatever they were, the founders. founders. Yeah. But they, 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 still, they seemed like they were like almost a traumatized race. 
Right. And they, yeah. it's very much like the, um, you know, uh, the, the, the Urquan from Star Control. Like, they, they uh-huh. had a very strong idea of how, like, we've, we've experienced this trauma and we want to make sure this never happens to us again. Thus, this is our kind of doctrine. Mm-hmm. And I still felt like that's, I could understand those motivations as a human. Right. Because it's ultimately a human writing it but, and, and, and trying to appeal like, to other like, humans. But, but then if I finally do get this hardcore science fiction, spider beings, will I say I can't relate to yeah. anything that's happening? Or is, Almost certainly. <laughs> but like, I, I kind of want to, I, I, what I want to experience is like when you're reading the best of like Lovecraft, like you can just barely get a fingernail on the motivations of what's going on. Right, But right. it's still like you, it, it, it's, it's like, I don't know, two matching sides of Velcro. They start to hook together, but you can't quite. Like, I, I, I don't know how you write that, but yeah. I would pay a lot of money to see something like that. Yeah, I mean, even in a truly movies alien like, intelligence, even in movies like Alien, sure, it's it's not quite truly alien, right? I mean, right. those things have a motivation. They want to get you the fuck off their planet, or right. they want to kill you. And also, they're weird because they were a genetically engineered weapon, essentially. So, like, just uh, when you try yeah. to uh, get your hooks into what their culture's like, it's like, oh, well, they're a weapon. So it's almost like I don't know why. I mean, I don't know why that's intrinsically less interesting, or why that turns off my. Why I, I don't need to figure it out they're just monsters kind of thing. I don't know. Hyperintelligent yeah. spider, space spiders might just be seen as monstrous. Maybe. I, I guess, you know, if if I want to make a final compare, hopefully final comparison between like DS9 and Babylon 5, uh, I think, you know, despite a few, uh, more than a few filler episodes that DS9 had, I think it's a, it's a, show that touches on a broader range of topics mm-hmm. and has a broader range of ideas that it tries to incorporate right uh be it religion which maybe this could definitely be i'm just missing it because i haven't seen all of babylon 5 right uh but from what little i've seen of babylon 5 uh ds9 tries to go into religion and like truly alien beings um it it has all of the same kind of you know d- dominion war st- stuff like these racial conflicts that Babylon right. Five has except I think it does it maybe I don't know it's hard Slightly to say better uh, I've only like seen two episodes data. of it I know it's and what I mean is they need Brent Spiner on the show <laughs> right no, I mean like there's I, I haven't <laughs> but, seen enough to judge I, I guess right. it's so but it weird. is more familiar to me and so it feels better uh, even mm. going into it like not knowing anything about DS9, it felt better because it was the Federation and because I understood, like, all of all of the backstory for this kind of stuff. Right. Whereas Babylon 5 is a bigger hurdle to jump over just because it's entirely foreign to me. I will say that some of the... There were some things that disappointed me about the final episode that it kept me from fully engaging with it. What's Number that? one... The sad, sorry Cirque du Soleil fight choreography when racial tensions broke out between Centauri. You didn't enjoy that sweet ass jump kick. That did was... you see that flying fucking roundhouse? Yeah, that's like from the <laughs> yeah. No, that wasn't it was a round... insane. That I... was dance fighting. That that went straight. Right. Yeah, no, that was West Side Story in space, and I thought that was like. <laughs> just why are you trying to get fancy like nothing yeah. i didn't know the centauri were fucking ninja russian ballet artists i think only that one guy was yeah it's just like just throw some haymakers these are these yeah. are civilians at a bar they're not going to be trained warriors just have them start throwing haymakers right plus didn't they establish the lizard people were super strong 
Did they? Like when Jakar, Jakar was like going on a berserk, he oh, picked he up that stone table. It right. looked like a stone table and smashed it as if it was made from foam. Well, I mean, <laughs> humans can apparently hold their own against Klingons under certain True, circumstances. I right. mean, the Star Trek has its fair share of that bullshit. Yeah. yeah. It's because the, the Klingons are all talk. No right. walk. Um, yeah, I, that, so that bothered me. Uh-huh. And then I'm seeing his orbital bombardment from these mass mass, mass driver drivers, weapons, which, which yeah. look like they're just fl- fucking hurling asteroids at the, which would be devastating. Yeah. And then they cut to this CNN in space saying hundreds of thousands have died. I'm like, why are you being stingy with the decimal places, man? This millions, hundreds of millions, billions. So here's the thing: should be die. Like it, it felt like it really in the same way to clone the 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 um the the Phantom Menace, like. They say Naboo's suffering, but I'm not seeing it. Like, I'd... so I I'm under the impression that space travel is a fairly new thing, like a couple hundred well, especially years, especially for the Narn. Like, they weren't spacefaring until they were conquered, and it's kind of like a right. You know, they, so, the, the Independence Day, they stole enough of their technology yeah, to, to fight infect, back, infect then, mother, the yeah. Centurion mothership with the MacBook and right, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so. At one point, like during this first attack on on the uh, the Narn, yeah, Narnia, when they when they have their colony wiped out, uh-huh. um, th- they said, "I like I'm quoting Jakar here. Uh-huh. He says that a quarter million civilians on the there were a quarter million civilians on the colony that had been killed we're on a colony or, or that, that were okay, sure that were uh, a quarter million that were taken prisoner, right?" Sure. He also says, and this is a quote, it is also their largest civilian colony. Sure. So but their homeworld is a smaller civilian colony. That's what I'm than saying. Than this outpost that was destroyed and only has a quarter million. Or if you're thro- this if race you- must only have like I did, did a, make few sense. Million pe- a few million small. people in it. So like... And and like even Babylon, this feels like that. Like Michael Straczynski thinks a quarter million is just beyond imagining because that's how that's the complement of people in I mean, Babylon. That's a Five. small city really in is. the U.S. I know, like I know, a tiny ass city in the U.S. Right? You can get smaller, certainly. If you like dropped 3, an asteroid 000? on Indianapolis, you would kill way more way than two hundred fifty thousand people in, and that, in the it, millions. It, it did. It did make it seem small. And then when the guy calls Jakar and says we have to. You know, surrender to avoid a thousand, a hundred thousand more ca- deaths. I'm like, what? This, this is your homeworld, man. Yeah. I, I well, thought... apparently the homeworld is not their largest civilian colony either. So that's well, odd the, to me. No, I can't because that's a. He when says I hear that. Colony, I, mean, that's, I think that's Jamestown. coming from. Well, yeah, but the homeworld's not the colony. Okay. So, so he he just an outpost, like sort like, of to, like deal, yeah, right. quarter million people on a fucking alien planet. They've had to ship every. That makes perfect sense. Okay. Um, especially since they've only been doing this for less than a hundred years, you haven't had the generational effect of. But right. your homeworld, I mean, I get you suffered this. Maybe it's a mass extinction level. You just haven't bounced back. But well, it's the year twenty two forty five, fifty eight, something like yeah. that. Uh-huh. Uh, I don't know how humanity could possibly compete with the Centauri. I have no fucking clue they didn't. how it was. They we were getting massacred, right? But like, even in the modern day, like now. Now we're gonna stand up to them and say, "Hey, this is like a bridge too far." Jakar's a, a oh, I see what you're saying. Refugee, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're gonna have to like fight us to the death. Essentially, is the foot that they're putting down there. It, it seems like humanity and Centauri are the biggest sticks in the galaxy that are known. That's what my feeling was. Like the together right. that they could beat 
the you know easily Narn Centauri or, or the um, Centauri the Minbari, sure. ugh, Minbari and Centauri, yeah. the Minbari and Human Alliance, and I, that's the thing. Like, how are they that close of allies after just fighting an almost nearly extinction war? Why don't Why don't humanity don't know. know why they surrendered to us? Like, you think that'd be one of the terms of surrender? Why are you doing this? How is it a mystery? Did they surrender? They didn't surrender that's to us. They just stopped attacking. Right? It says it they said they mysteriously surrendered. I think they said mysteriously withdrew. Uh, I don't but, know. Uh, uh, yeah, regardless, it, it, it doesn't seems matter. Like but I'm the power very structure curious. is strange here. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's no more strange than all of the races essentially being exact equals in Star Trek, right? But that felt okay. You're right. But the real politic of like the fact that humans and Klingons were at war, mm-hmm. and then thirty to sixty years later, the next generation. You know, we saw like the last Star Trek film, The Undiscovered Country, was kind of like the beginning of their thaw of their Cold War. War, right? But why are the Romulans and the the, the Vulcans and everything so so parallel, evenly matched? Yeah. yeah. When I, when I these races saying. have been out there for God knows how long, right? perfecting their technology like the borg why is the borg the only true threat why and, are and, more and, and, of these friendly races and not the borg super powerful? badass why does voyager able to elude them for <laughs> right indefinitely essentially one so lone federation like ship there's a lot of that going on yeah and that some of that's unavoidable and episodic science fiction it yeah. seems yeah because uh, otherwise they just have the floor mopped with them and can i ask you a question why doesn't somebody like an HBO or an AMC or Showtime, why don't they make like a, uh, I'm going to do Babylon, a story like Babylon 5, we're going to do it right. We're going to do 10 yep. or 12 episodes a season, no fat, spare no budget. Like why, it seems like fantasy has an easier time of it and, and everybody's everybody's content to concede science fiction to Star Wars or Star Trek, which is fine. Uh-huh. They're fine sci-fi fantasies. But I want like really hardcore. I like. I want a fucking Dune. Like honestly, just make Dune. Just make Dune. HBO. I think it's because those shows fail to capture the audience. Star Trek's really the only just too sci-fi series too, that's made it. Because that's the thing about Dune is like you want incomprehensible alien teachings and philosophies. Yeah, hundreds of pages of it, man. Right. And I think that's what Battlestar Galactica reboot was kind of meant to be. Was you know a competitor for Star Trek and. It just hasn't. I mean, I I think it was really good. I know you don't like it, um, but still, in in my like mind share, in my heart, you wouldn't it's say nowhere it's, near Star Trek. You wouldn't say, and also you wouldn't all say that it's equivalent to Game of Thrones on the fantasy scale. Like what? Like scale? Game of Thro- no. Game of Thrones I mean, is the fantasy. No, I'm saying Game of Thrones is the fantasy the way X is to science fiction. That X is unanswerable. There is no direct equivalent. I don't think. Uh, right, but I also think Game of Thrones is the first of its type, too. Before that, you had fucking Xena Warrior Princess. Well, Lord, of the and, like, Lord of the Rings kind of paved the way for it, I suppose. But on TV? Well, yeah. Like, there wasn't anything that that. But you've had the scale success in of Star Trek, and now you got Star Wars starting to get onto the small screen. I, I don't understand why we haven't had... I mean, maybe Westworld will be that, but Westworld's still not... It's, it's science not, fiction, but it's, it's not... It's not space-faring races yeah, going at yeah, each other. I, right? want, I want the depth and political machinations of a Deep Space Nine or a Babylon 5 or a Game of Thrones in space only without 
Like, you can do ridiculous stuff, but it, it better not be like, oh, I've just slacked this guy's hair with spray, and it's it's in a fan, and, and this guy's got uh, a rubber strip glued to his... Like, I, I want real, real science fiction shit going on, well, man. January 2017, Star Trek Discovery. Maybe, it ain't gonna be it. Maybe... Just maybe it'll happen. I'm just hoping it's good Star Trek. <laughs> Me too. Uh, Me too. We'll be covering it day one, so if yep. you're interested in that, yep, join us uh, for that. Yeah. But yeah, I I was more impressed with Babylon Five than I think I probably would have been had I watched it from the beginning because I did watch a little bit of episode one of of season two and kind of didn't really like it that much. Um, I think season one would have been even more of a shit show. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, because you're... I, I think we I got the best of the this, best plucked out of this, honestly. The like, other thing I'm, I want to say about this is it's hard to talk shit about Babylon 5 when you realize what a mess the first two seasons of start The Next Generation, even Deep Space Nine were. The Next Generation is 1987. That's seven it. years before this show even came on the air, man. But, but still, like I, I, I think the first season of Deep Space Nine was as big a mess as the first season of TNG. Mm, I don't know. I, I don't think I, so. I, I fairly recently watched the first season of TNG. It was about five years ago. I got yeah. Will Wheaton's uh, whatever his tell-all biography. And it's I was, a shit show. It is a train wreck. Yeah. There's like one and a half episodes that you might kind of squint and say, okay... Picard is righteous. Data is interesting. The effects are good for the time I'm in. Right. If you're a starved science fiction nerd, yeah. but there was slim pickings. Even in season, like I don't think Star Trek really started taking off until season three. I think the, the art, next generation, the anyway. art direction of the Federation itself, not of these alien worlds yeah. and the places they go in season one, but the art direction of the Federation was there, and it was on. Uh, That's because you're a Mac fanboy. <laughs> What do you mean? All that light like car design. shit. All that light car shit is just oh, yeah, iPads yeah. ahead of your time, man. <laughs> right, totally. You fly to ship with iPads. Uh, aside from a little bit of like the uniform stuff, they they kind of grow into the uniforms later on. But I mean, the bridge looks the collar fan fucking the, the, co- the collar helped it look a lot. Look, yeah. not look like. Here's the thing, though. Like you and read the a, different material. Helped, you read frankly. a lot of con. Yeah, you, you you looked less less like pajamas, more like a military uniform. Yeah. Um, but you read a lot of contemporary reviews of the next generation, and a lot of people compared the the bridge set to a hotel lobby. They really? thought it like I think you kind of just assume that that's a badass looking bridge because you love Star Trek. If Maybe you try so. to look at it objectively, I mean, it does kind of. I don't know. But but it feels like it's set up really well. Like it makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, and sure. Yeah. Uh, just the formation of it, and I. I don't know what the command room looks like here in Battle right. on Five. It doesn't seem like there is one. Right. It it's seems the second like has got diplomatic offices or what? I, I'm sure yeah. there is. And then there's I, a conference room. I think I saw like, like when they were trying to get a hold of uh, Sheridan in the shower before he's visited by that uh, one dude, Glar or Glynn or Glark, whatever his name was. Right. Um, and I, I thought... think the art direction in in DS Nine is even better. Like Agreed. way better than, than and Star even Trek if you Next Generation. Take, even if you want to take sh- talk shit about the Enterprise D bridge, you got to give it up to Engine Room. The Engine Room is yeah. an iconic piece of sight. That looks like a fucking yeah. starship reactor. It does. It sounds it does. like it too. It has the glow of the nacelles. It, it anchors you it's to totally, what like, that like room I said, does. I, I, no, I can't. There, I've never seen anyone talk shit about <laughs> the Engine Room. Right. And you're right. Deep Space Nine looks cool because 
Because it's it, not a star. It because looks it's not a like Federation a Cardassian yeah. star base has been taken over by the Federation, and everybody from Cisco to to O'Brien to Odo, everybody has these quarters that look harsh. Yes, they don't look like they have the amenities of a Federation. No, they do not outpost. look like the IKEA pods that the right. Next Generation guys are running around in. Yeah, and it really it brings you into that world. And I I guess I don't quite feel the same way about Babylon Five here, like. Yeah. The art direction is not quite as good, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I felt like uh, Brian sent us a ton of material, a lot of his background material, and I um, I don't know how much of the stuff to actually read. I will – he did, like, have this uh, primer that if you want to sample these three episodes to see what we th- think about it, um, that I'll link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'll read a couple paragraphs from his, his initial email. Um, maybe I should have done this at the beginning. Uh, he said, Babylon 5 is my favorite TV show during my teenage years. It has been since surpassed by Breaking Bad. Well, that huh. just shows you got, you got yeah. No, I mean, wow. I like okay. Star Trek, but it's not even in my top 20 for television at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean. Yeah. Uh, sure. Uh, when the last season of the show was picked up by TNT from the Warner Brother Network, they showed daily reruns of the first four seasons. Uh, I still remember coming home from high school and watching these reruns religiously every day. I loved all things sci-fi like Star Wars and Star Trek, but Babylon 5 stories seemed to go deeper than others with great character arcs unseen on network television at the time. And interesting allusions to historical events like World War II and McCarthyism and also hitting on religious aspects that most other sci-fi, sci-fi shows wouldn't touch. Really? Okay, we didn't get any of that in this episode. No. These three episodes. No. Um... I'm super interesting. He says, he concludes, I really hope you and others get a taste of why it's such a cult classic. I do. And in fact, yeah, yeah, I've added this to my list of things I want to watch. The list you'll never plow through because new stuff's coming out all the time. But no, I mean, but, I, but, but it's like, it's, it was nowhere on my radar. Like now I got yeah, fucking yeah. Buffy on there and all this stuff. But like, yeah, like, and I might, I don't know if I'll finish it, but I, I, I kind of want to give it to at least the end of season three, because if I can see the promise of what he's saying. Like, yeah. I actually think you're underestimating. I think my my suspicion is if I go through this entire series that I'm going to see that storytelling, if nothing else, is superior to Deep Space Nine and more consistent. If not, okay. then I'll probably bail at season three. But Right. That's, that's your suspicion. My suspicion is it's probably, at best, just as good. Mm. Because I think there was a lot of Dominion stuff. Deep, Deep Space Nine gets real good, I think. Okay. Toward the end. Um, actually, not even that far into it. Like, season three, it starts to really take off. That's the thing. Like, season three seems like, that, again, they came out of the gates of season two swinging on D- Babylon 5. And I that right. was my thought. As a, I thought it was a little bit, I thought it was more like season four before the Dominion. But, like, if it took till season three to warm up, then there's a lot of the well, first season two three, seasons. they have are... the Defiant. Like, they make the Defiant. Sure. So I mean they're they're kind of knee deep in it mm-hmm. at the point that they but make the Defiant. The Defiant wasn't manufactured for purposes of the Dominion War. It was man- manufactured to be like a cheap uh, assault fighter against the Borg, essentially. Right. It was repurposed. But the the Dominions on the scene, like they're already mm-hmm. working. Like you can already see the machinations with the Dominion and the Cardassians. Like yeah. that shit's happening, like right off the bat in season three. Okay. I, I don't I don't know about season two. I didn't. Go back. I can't remember exactly the timeline. Yeah. Apparently there's but, yeah. a shapeshifter on Babylon 5, too. There is? Yeah. Uh, which, like, hmm. is, again, like, man, if I'm Michael Straczynski, I must be, like, just, like, steam rolling out of my ears as I watch these episodes. I guess they later made peace because Majel uh, uh, Barrett Roddenberry, 
uh-huh. appeared as a guest star in like season four or five. And it was kind of like, a, you know, burying the hatchet. We both have successful shows that are interesting in their own right, kind of acknowledgement of all that. Right. I don't know. It's fat. The, the history, I also link uh, the article in io9 that Jason wrote because it's got a lot of fascinating behind the scenes details and whatnot. So, yeah, I. I was intimidated by this project. I was afraid. Uh, I know we've kind of fallen behind. One of the reasons where we're super busy, but one of the reasons for me was I also was intimidated by this project. Like, I think I might have pushed harder for us to, you know, get back because I was I was afraid of the fact that we keep falling behind on these commissions. Um, but it turns out I had nothing to fear. This was enjoyable. And in fact, mm-hmm. I thought that the first episode was a good one to start with because even though I think it's the weaker of it, it was a very light introduction to the universe. Sure. Yeah. Um, and and but still gave me a good grounding in what I because because I also think the Brian you did a great job of choosing three episodes that as you say you explain it though like you wanted to shine a magnifying glass on Jakar and Londo and yeah, I, I felt like that. I I got everything I needed to enjoy the subtle aspects of their their performance and you know all that stuff. Right. Yeah. No, I I enjoyed watching it. Um, I don't know that I'm going to have time to go back and watch a hundred episodes of a television show. Is it a hundred? Oh, I guess twenty it, yeah. plus per season. Yeah, five Jesus. seasons. <laughs> That's the thing about the old. Now the other right. thing that I think, and it's um, an hour long show. So I, I think the other thing that Jason had that he sent me was a like a list of like the essential Babylon episodes. Oh yeah, because I bet like you could probably do the same thing in the Deep Space Nine if they you wanted to. There, yeah. If you wanted to, just like okay, if you want to enjoy the Dominion War, watch these thirty episodes. Right. Um, and skip the baseballs and the you know one two buckle my shoe episodes. Right. Oh, they have a they have it subdivided by yeah like Dominion War and the War founders like the, the sure. <laughs> if you only want to see episodes where O'Brien's frustrated, and... I just want to see episodes where Jake and the Fering- and Nog uh-huh. get up to hijinks. All right. I just want to see the Jake Jake and Nog episodes. They've got that. That's the highlights. Uh, <laughs> But anyway, yeah, thanks, Grand Brian. Grand Nagus episode, sure. Yeah, Grand Nagus, uh, always classic. Uh, Brian Strader, thank you for introducing us to, uh, giving us a proper introduction to Babylon 5. Yeah. Uh, and having us give it a second chance. Uh, there'll be lots of notes and stuff in the show notes if you want to take the plunge as well and arm forearm yourself. I don't think it's necessary. Um, this is like bonus, and like you, it seems like you could really fall down a lore hole in this show, but I think these three episodes stand well on their own without any kind of introduction. Yeah. Um, but they're also, uh, I can't find them streaming for free anywhere. I had to get them on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, but they're 99 cents an episode. That's not so bad. Cheap. They're SD. So. They're SD. And also <laughs> the, the, the editing to make them widescreen was questionable in a lot of uh, cases. Yeah. A lot of odd frame. Like, like, why did they do that? Why can't I have the choice? This is, this, this is a streaming product. Why can't I choose what aspect ratio? Right. Like the original, I'm sure was four three, and now you're forcing to sixteen and nine, which is cutting off people's foreheads and chins and shit and <laughs> things. I want to see the full cobra head, yeah, at all times. Don't hide that pointy chin from me. Nope. Uh, so there you go. If you want to commission your podcast, like Brian, it's easy. Go to baldmove.com/slash/shop. Click on the big film canister wheel. There's a variety of uh, community commissions where you can chip in at ten bucks at a time to make it happen. Or you can do what Brian did and pull down a personal project and um, make us watch whatever you care about, and, and we'll talk about it. Uh, we'll see you next time. I think the next one is Mulholland Drive. Sure is. So 
that will be interesting. I've never seen that. Uh, and I know you're not super excited <laughs> about this filmmaker's list of work. Nope. Nope. I saw... I think this is the Blue Velvet guy, right? Mm-hmm. Ugh. Okay. This next one might be, be interesting. It's going to be a weird one. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, though, because I, I kind of like that shit. But that's what we'll be back uh, on the next time. Until then, I'm Aaron. And I'm Jim. Bye-bye.